Good morning, Ed. It's wonderful to see so many faces this morning. Um, I want to introduce two very special faces to you that you know well, but I want them to come up. Where's Dan and Kerry? Where's Dan? There we go. So you are very familiar with this lovely couple, Dan and Kerry, and it's high time we give you an update on their journey. Um, for a number of years, they've been feeling a tug particularly towards Canada and ministering into that nation. And at the end of last year, they came to the eldership and said, the Lord has really challenged them to take a significant step forward and a significant step of faith as a family to respond to the obedience of this call that God put on their life for this country. And so they have, and uh, in discussion with the eldership, um, we decided uh, mutually that June, end of this uh, month coming, would be a line in the sand so that they can definitely process their journey, they have to make some big decisions around immigration and getting ready for that, but also to honor the church in um, our journey and trying to get ready for their departure. So what I'm wanting us to do, and in a moment I'm going to ask Laurie to lead us, is they've had a number of job interviews. They're still waiting for an open door, but they're still feeling really prompted in the Lord that this is the right thing that they need to give themselves to, and uh, their, their confidence in the Lord to honor them is unabated. And they really do sense that the, the Lord is going to open up the right door at the right time and they're needing to be patient. Though they've knocked on a number of doors. And so this morning, we're going to stand in a moment and uh, stand with them in their faith, join their faith in what the Lord is saying to them. And uh, we're going to pray for God to fling wide the door for them and as a family into Canada. They still have a strong sense that that door is there. And uh, so we're going to stand with them and, and join them in that journey this morning. But also, um, just to let you know, which is a wonderful um, comfort to me personally, is uh, that God might open a door in June, uh, and they might be gone sooner rather than later. But they have said to us that um, if the door isn't yet open, uh, and at the end of June they are still waiting for God to lead them in the next step, um, they are not going to be going anywhere. They're still going to be a part of us as SBC. So it's a thank you. Uh, it's more a thank you of serving on staff than a goodbye. And we're going to hold off on the commissioning of them uh, for Canada until um, the Lord has revealed his next hand. And I just wanted to say, you know, after preaching through Habakkuk of walking by faith, sometimes we do things because the Lord has brought clear leadership and we are trusting him because he said this is what we must do. And we're not clear of the exact outcome, but we know we have a peace in our heart that this is the Lord. I just want to honor you too for the way that you have honored and stewarded this word from the Lord over your life in a massive way over many years. This isn't a knee-jerk reaction, but also just um, in the way that you've honored the church. And uh, it's an absolute joy as your family this morning to stand with you and to, in this adventure that God has you on and to pray with you and say, Lord, we're trusting that this leadership of the Spirit is going to go clearer and lead to that next step that we're waiting for. So I just want to honor you guys as well. Good morning, church. My name's Mark, and it's my privilege to bring you the next part of our series. Um, we're going through generosity, and Dave and Joe have done a fantastic job uh, laying a foundation this morning for us, and I'm bringing the third part. And when I saw I was going to follow Dave in the uh, preaching order, I actually, the sinful part of me went, yeah, <laughs> I'm going after the novice, you know. And then it felt like one of those things, I don't know if you remember being at uh, school and uh, the teacher calls up someone to do the oral and they hit it out of the park and then suddenly they call your name up next. And that sinking feeling of, you know, can someone else go? Um, I need to gather my thoughts. But anyway, yeah, I was so encouraged by how well Dave preached last week and I actually thought if, it's so easy to transition between cardiology and preaching. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, uh, maybe I should give that a go. But um, the area we are covering today is stewardship, and my title is Stewards and, and Eternity. And I want to kick things off with this lovely quote by John Tillotson. It says, he who provides for this life but takes not care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. And I thought that's so wise, so good. Because we know that it is a good thing to take care of this life. It's not a bad thing to get to the end of your work career at age 65 and to have looked and seen that you have provided well for the time that is to come. We would look on someone like that and say they were wise 
uh, with the money that they had. But if we are not putting anything towards eternity, we put so much time and thinking into retirement, and who knows how long retirement may last. It may last days, weeks, months. You might get 10, 20 years. But eternity is forever. And if we don't think about providing for eternity, then we will be shown to be a fool forever. And the question that must be asked this morning is, how do I invest in eternity? And my prayer this morning is that the Spirit will not only challenge you in your stewardship, but that it will also be clear to you how to invest in eternity. We've got a few precious moments here on earth. The Bible call, says that it's our lives are like grass. It comes up in the day and then the following day it's gone. You've got a few precious moments, a few grains of sand in the hourglass. Let's use it to not only secure our place in eternity, but also to get a wonderful measure of reward when we get there. Before I uh, get to my first point, I just want to um, acknowledge two books that have been very helpful to me in the preparation of the sermon. Both of them are by Randy Alcorn. I really want to recommend that you get them and read them. This one's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. If you have it on your bookshelf, Reread it again. It was a massive blessing to me. And then this one's Managing God's Money. They're very similar books, but they do um, cover a few different things between them. And my first point this morning is that everything is God's. Everything is God's. And it's helpful at the start to define what we mean by stewardship. This is the definition. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. So when we talk about stewardship in Christianity, we recognize that everything we have is God's. And He has entrusted it to us. He's entrusted it to us so that we will manage it in His best interests. And typically when we think about stewardship, the first thing we think about, maybe the only thing we think about is money. But the scope, while it includes money, it is much wider than just the money that God has given to us. Randy Alcorn says, stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. After all, what is stewardship? except that God has entrusted to us life, time, talents, money, possessions, family, and His grace. In each case, He evaluates how we regard what He has entrusted to us and what we do with it. When I was on the ship, we did a lot of skits and dramas. And um, my favorite one was one called the offering bag. I was tempted to do it for you, but we're going to run out of time. So I'll just talk you through it. Oh. Um, to be honest, I, I don't think I can remember very well. It was so long ago uh, that I'm going to perform it that you'll understand it. But in this drama, there's no words. There's only one actor. And the person's sleeping, then they wake up, and they're brushing their teeth and getting ready, and you suddenly realize they jump in the car, driving, uh, getting angry at a whole bunch of people on the road, and then they walk into the church building, and they're late, and they join in the, um, the pews and start singing uh, with fervor. And then it comes to the preaching, and the, uh, the preacher goes on a little bit. Hopefully, I won't do that this morning. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to try and be nimble. And uh, they fall asleep in the sermon. Maybe it's happened to you before. It's happened to you, hey, Laura. I remember you sharing a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, fall, they fall asleep in the sermon, and then they get woken up at the end because the church runs similar to ours, where at the end there's also a worship song. So the, the worship song at the end wakes them up, and they jump up, and they carry on singing with fervor. And suddenly the offering bag comes past, and they get out their um, uh, money, and they put some money in the offering bag, and pass it on and they keep singing joyfully until they realize that the offering bag comes twice. So I don't know if this was a prosperity church, you know, the offering bag came around again. And so 
they dig out a little bit more and they throw a bit more money in the offering bag and they, they shove it on with a bit more fervor. Maybe it didn't, oops, maybe it didn't uh, go send on well enough. So they send it on and they sing with a little bit of indignation now. Um, and then the offering bag comes a third time. So this time they make it clear. They empty out their pockets and put everything that they came to church with in the offering bag and pass it on, hoping that is the last. And yet it comes again. And when it comes again, they look up to the heavens. And then they almost hear something and they look at their wrist and there's a watch. And so they take the watch off and they put the watch in the offering bag and send it on. Not singing too happily now. The offering bag comes back again and again and again. And the climactic moment comes. The, the person's got nothing left to give. They don't know what they're meant to give. And they look up to the heavens and God says something, remember it's a silent place, so they just look up to the heavens, shake their head, turn their back, and then look back in submission, nod, take the offering bag, open it up wide, and climb in. And that's the end of the play. And I performed that play countless times, uh, watched it even more. It always moved me. It even moves me now talking about it. It's a powerful message of God owning all of my money, all of my time, and even all of me. And if we really believe that all the money was God's, would it be so difficult to give some to church, or some to missions, or some to orphans and the poor? If we really believe that all of our stuff belonged to God, would it be difficult to lend a car to a short-term mission trip or to have people over in your house to do ministry with them? If we really believe that all of our time belonged to God, would it be difficult to come to church twice and do one service to serve people and another service to receive? Would it be difficult to have a Bible study in our homes or to attend Bible study on a midweek evening if all of our time belonged to God? Would it be difficult to go on a short mission trip? How many times have you considered it? Have you thought about it? And then the answer was, I just don't have time. If we really believe that we are God's twice, as Alcorn states, he says we are God's twice. First in creation, and second in redemption. Would it be difficult to obey His instruction for how we are to live His life? It belongs to Him. But these things are difficult for us because we still see them as ours. It's difficult to tithe money we've worked hard for and feel we need. Can anyone relate to that this morning? I can It's difficult to give time to serving God and others when we live busy lives and don't feel we get enough time for ourselves. Can you relate to that? I can. It's difficult when we plan out our lives and God interrupts it. And how many of you have felt frustrated over an unknown curveball that came your way? I can also relate to that. It's good to acknowledge these feelings and struggles because they are real for many of us in the room today. And God's Word has something to say about it. These scriptures, I've got a few of them. They're going to come on the screen. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to let you read them on the screen with me. Um, I'm hoping that they're on the screen as I say that. Dane's nodding. Okay. All right. So the first one, I want you to read this. God answers the struggle. He knows that this is how we feel. This is how we think. And His Word has something to say about it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, Behold, the Lord your God, sorry, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 
Leviticus 25:23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. For the prosperity teachers out there, Job 41.11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. What nonsense that we give so that God gives more to us. Who has given to me that I should repay him? It's his. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the whole, the world, and those who dwell there, therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50, uh, 10 to 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Haggai 2, verse 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And then 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Scripture is clear, friends. Everything is God's. Everything is His. Our sinful nature struggles with that. But the Holy Spirit is able to bring you to maturity in Christ and to help you grow in stewardship. That encourages me. I'm going to let you into a little bit of the insight of my heart here. You might have picked up on it already. I do tithe. I do give to missions. I'm not going to say this as a, a you know, a naughty badge, a ticking like feel happy, wait, wait until you get the clincher. I give to um, Breath of Life. I, you could look at my exits on my bank statement and you could go, oh, this is a good guy because he does these things. But if you saw the state of my heart, you'd realize that my fist is clenched and God has to wrestle these things out of my hand. I struggle with this. I do it because I know it's right and I want to be obedient to God's word. But I, it's hard. I need to grow in my understanding of stewardship. And that's why I'm encouraged by the Holy Spirit. He is with me. He's going to teach me. He's going to mature me. When I read that we must be cheerful givers, I know I'm not there yet, but I believe I can get there. I believe He can help me get there. And I wonder what is the state of your heart this morning towards the stuff you have? Because even if you are giving well, maybe, just maybe, you still believe it's yours, like I do. And that's why it's so hard for God to help you give some of it away. I'll give you an example from this week. It just showed up again. I'm not that good with money. Like, I'm not so good with investments and making money. But something off for me, like, hardly ever happens. And Anita and I are trying to buy a house. And so my bank account's never been this full. Praise the Lord. And I have enough now to maybe pay off transfer fees, which are uh, extensive, those of you who, who've had to buy property, you know. But Anita says to me, have you thought about tithing on that uh, cashed-in investment? <laughs> Thank you for that, Anita. <laughs> no, I have not thought about tithing on it, and... Even if there was a fleeting kind of thought, a moment where something within me said, shouldn't you be tithing even on this extra that's come in? I squashed it immediately before it had life to, to breathe and really fledge. And maybe you can relate to that. So now I will pray about it and I will give reluctantly. 
pat on the back. How advanced am I in living out my stewardship life? But with God's help, I will learn to trust Him more. And the Holy Spirit's going to help me grow in that, and He's going to help you too. Do you want to know how this can look in a mature believer's life? I'm not one. There's a story of Don Wesley, um, a man coming on a horse, charging after him. And he says to John, uh, shouting at him, uh, John, your house is burnt down. And John paused, and he considered the awful news. And then he replied like this. He said, no, the Lord's house has burnt to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Another one is William Carey doing missionary work in India. And he spent many years translating the Bible into all sorts of different languages. And I have this on the screen for you to read. I want you to read, there was a fire and he lost all of his work. But you need to read the extent of that work. So I've got it on the screen, Dan. I don't know if you've got it there. Just put it up. I'm going to read it to you. This is what he lost in the fire. In the fire, Carey lost the labor of years, including all his Karenese New Testament, two whole large Old Testament books in Sanskrit, many pages of his Bengali dictionary, all his Telugu grammar and much of his Punjabi, a year's work of Marshman, his missionary colleague, and himself on the Ramayana, and every vestige of his well-advanced dictionary of Sanskrit and its Indian cognates the magnum opus of his linguistic life. Also lost were 1,400 reams of English paper and much more of their own, 4,400 pounds of English type and many fonts of English cast, Hebrew, Greek, Persian, Arabic, and Tamil, not less than 104 fonts of Nagari, Telugu, Bengali, Burmese, Marathi, Punjabi, Oriya, Tamil, Ch Chinese, and Kashmiri. All of these created and casted by them. In addition, the fire took all the building, books, printing materials, and tools. This is in 1812. There is no copying, printing press, da 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 da, da whatever. And listen to his response. This was an observer's recollection looking at William Carey in that moment. This is what he observes. The scene was indeed affecting. The long printing office reduced to a mere shell. The yard covered with burnt paper. Kerry walked with me over the smoking ruins. The tears stood in his eyes. In one night, he said, the labors of years are consumed. How unsearchable are the divine ways. I had lately brought some things to the utmost perfection I could and contemplated the mission with perhaps too much self-congratulation. The Lord has laid me low, that I, that I may look more simply to Him. These responses seem unthinkable to us, because we have not yet matured in our understanding of stewardship. Wesley and Carey got that it was all God's, and they were able to respond to great loss through the lens of stewardship. Carey started that work again from scratch. And he finished more than he had lost in that fire. Wesley got that God's house, it was God's house and not his. These men, lived the, these men lived their lives free of ownership, the burden of ownership. It's a great and heavy burden when you believe everything is yours. And it's your job to protect it. You sleep much better when you believe and know that the owner never sleeps. It's much easier to deal with setbacks when we realize that the one who allows the setbacks owns the work as well as the setback. Consider your life this morning, church. How are you doing in the area of stewardship? How, in what ways do you use money to further God's kingdom? Remember that money is there to further His estate. In what ways do you use money to further God's kingdom? And how are you doing in stewarding time? In what ways do you steward time, the time that God's given you, for His kingdom? What about possessions and talents and family and work 
even your life? Are you stewarding everything He has given you well? You might think it's yours, but He doesn't. And whose opinion counts more? I want to say that again. You might think it's yours, but He doesn't. And whose opinion counts more? God will hold you to account. Every parable on stewardship teaches that to us. He will hold us to account. How are you doing? Alfred Nobel got rich by inventing dynamite. When his brother died, the newspaper mistakenly printed Alfred's obituary. And it said, this man got rich off the deaths of millions of people. What a wonderful thing to read about the summation of your life. It shook Alfred Nobel to see the way he was going to be remembered. So he spent the latter years of his life helping people, and that's why today when you hear the, the surname Nobel, you don't think of dynamite and people dying. You think of the Peace Prize. He had the opportunity to check his life and see what was going to be said about him, and he changed direction. If God required your life of you today, as we read in that parable last week through Dave, what is the account he's going to give of your stewardship? And your response to that question should be, I have time. There's still some grains of sand left in this hourglass. If I feel like I'm wanting in any of these areas, I can change it. I've got time to change it. If it's not going well, may God grant you the grace and time to change direction because it all counts for eternity. My second point this morning, I only have two, is eternal reward. If you're struggling with the thought that everything is God's, and what does that leave you, it may be helpful to remember that God is good. He loves you. Just as we want to take care of our children and give them good things, and the more we have, the more we can do, so it is with the Father who owns everything. God's motivation for letting you steward His stuff is not that you would fail and He would punish you. His motivation is that you would steward well so that He can reward you. He wants to give you things, and He wants to give you things now and in eternity. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. It's coming on the screen. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Does this sound like a God who doesn't want you to have things? He will give you a hundred times what you give up for His kingdom in this lifetime. Or consider what He says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. I gave you your master's house and his wife and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. He took David from the fields as a shepherd and made him king over nations, two nations, Israel and Judah. And if that wasn't enough, God's heart towards David was to give you much, much more. Finally, consider Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, it is to our eternal benefit, everything belongs to the Father. And He longs to be good to you and me for all eternity. But the way we manage those things that He gives us counts. And He will reward you according to what you have done. 
what we do counts for eternity. Every action counts. You've heard things this morning. The announcements dovetail beautifully with the sermon. Every bowl of soup. Some of you make that soup already. You spend time making soup that goes to that soup kitchen and feeds the poor in this city. And not one action that you've done towards that is unseen by the Father. It's a fearful thing for the sinner to consider that God sees everything. But it's a wonderful thing for the worshiper to consider that God sees every single act of worship to him, done out of love to the king who sees it all. I remember in grade two stumbling upon my parents uh, reading my school report. I didn't know that there was such a thing. And I'd done quite well, but I, I was furious because I didn't know they were keeping score. When you asked me to draw the house, I just drew the house. I didn't draw the house thinking you were going to tell my parents how well I drew the house. I went back to school when I realized they were keeping score with manic motivation. I unleashed myself, and I finished first every single year out of a hundred, and the motivation ran out in high school. But in primary school, grade four, five, six, seven, I was tops because I knew they were keeping score and I wanted to show you what I could do. Let me tell you something some of you might not like to hear. God is keeping score. That might not sound like him to you, but he is. He's keeping score. Some of us are living our lives like he's not. Think of all the time and energy you put into earthly things that won't last. Some of us are going to get to heaven. You're going to see God sitting on the couch, looking at the report card of your life and how you've invested in eternity. And don't let the heart cry in that moment be, I didn't know you were keeping score. I would have done it much differently. He is keeping score, friends. He is going to give you an account of how you've lived for eternity. If you're not taking that seriously, if you're not approaching life with this 100% devotion to give everything you've got to it, then change. When I consider the church at large, I see a lack of motivation towards good works. Alcorn says the missing ingredient in the lives of many Christians today is motivation. And I agree wholeheartedly. I think we have a faulty doctrine, a faulty view of rewards. We believe that Getting to heaven is enough. And if you think that's enough, then why would you be motivated to do all of these extra things? You're already there. This is why doctrine of rewards is so important. It motivates us. We're not all equals in heaven. We might be equally satisfied. We might have equal joy. But some will have more than others. Alcorn says some people are going to have like a glass and other people are going to have like a Jojo tank. And both can be full. You can be full of, with both of those. There's no emptiness either, but one has more than the other. How is this not important to us? Those of you that are going, no, well, it's fine. I just want to get to heaven. It doesn't matter if I've got nothing else here. You will do anything on earth to get more. Where it's passes away, and we know it doesn't last. If there's an opportunity to get more, we go. But when God says, this is how, and he tells you in his word, he says, this is how you put more into eternity. He, he's telling you to do it. He's saying, use that, that selfish ambition to focus on the right thing and go get more in heaven. And when we think about it up in heaven, suddenly we get all spiritual. No, I don't need it. Who are we kidding? I'll give you a reason why I think you're not as motivated to put stuff into heaven. It's not because you're so spiritual, and I'm speaking to myself here as well, so I should say us. It's not because we're so spiritual. It's because we're so focused on now. It's much easier to work for now because we can see now. Do you really believe God when he says he's putting stuff in heaven for you, depending on how you work here? Do you believe him? Are we taking him seriously? I think another reason some of us struggle with reward is because we know we don't deserve anything from God. In this sense, heaven is already enough, 
and I can understand that. But God spends a lot of time in Scripture telling you about reward. So it's important to Him. And if God wants to give you rewards because of His generosity and goodness, is it right to live like it doesn't matter? Would you refuse a gift from God's hand? It seems to me that if God speaks much about heavenly rewards, then He wants us to get our head around it. Because maybe, just maybe, it's going to help us live our lives for Him. Someone might say to me, I'm not motivated by rewards, I'm motivated by my love for God. And I want to commend that. There are multiple motivations. But just like Paul says, I celebrate anyone who preaches the gospel regardless of motivation. I celebrate anyone who is putting God's kingdom first, regardless of motivation. And sometimes we need to start on a lower level before we get to the higher level. Jeremy Sieberhagen trained me to share my faith on the mission field. He spoke about how he challenged his team to share the gospel every week for a month, once a year. It was a specific challenge. This month, we're all going to share the gospel once a week, and we're going to report back to each other. He's the leader. He tells me how the report back happened every Wednesday, and every Wednesday, his taxi driver got it on the way to the meeting. So he's left it the whole week, and now because he has to go stand in front of people and tell them whether he's done it or not, the taxi driver gets it on the way to the meeting. Here's the student's hand. Uh, Jeremy, isn't your motivation wrong? You're only sharing your faith because you have to give an account to these people. You're doing it for the wrong reasons, aren't you? This was his response. Whatever it takes to get you to start sharing your faith. Eventually, you share your faith not because you have to give a report, but because you love speaking about your Savior. If you think that serving Christ for reward is a lower motivation, you might be right. But it's a good place to start, especially for people who have never thought about the fact that God is keeping score. I just want to close with this review. Everything is God's. This does not mean we have nothing. God gives us money, possession, time, talents, energy, life, so that we will use it to further His estate. When we steward well, He rewards us, and those rewards are for now and eternity. We get to heaven. This is important. I've rushed a little bit this morning, so I skipped a really important thing. We get to heaven. I want you to hear me now. We get to heaven because of what Christ has done for us. It's got nothing to do with what we do. We get to heaven the destination is secure because of what Christ has done for us. You put your faith in that, you are there. But what you get when you are there is dependent on how you live your life. What you get when you are there, what heaven's going to be filled with for you is dependent on how you live your life, and it matters. I want to share a verse from a quiet time. I think this is prophetic. 2 John verse 8, I read this week, knowing I'm preaching this sermon, says this, it's on the screen. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves, church. This is the elder, John the elder, writing to his church. And this is Mark the elder sharing with you a quiet time verse that I think is for you. Watch yourselves. We're in a COVID sleep. There's some people at home today, and there are legitimate reasons for being at home. You can be home because you're in lockdown at your facility. You can be home because you've got comorbidities. But there's people sitting at home today who could be here who've become comfortable. Watch yourselves. Our, our volunteer um, numbers are down. In every area, I think some of you have stopped doing the things you used to do. Watch yourselves. We've worked hard as a church, and we've deposited reward in heaven because we've done that. And John is warning us here. He says, um, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Don't forfeit your reward now, now guys. 
Do not underestimate the significance of that loss. As elders, we agonize over you as a church. We see that some of you are asleep. We spend much time discussing and praying that you would wake up. Come back. Get involved. Don't lose what we have worked hard for. Get the full reward. The second verse that I felt is for you this week, 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And I'm saying that to you. I have no greater joy than to hear that the children of this church are walking in the truth. Has God revealed something to you this morning? Has He put His finger on something in your life? Has He challenged you in some way? Then walk in it. That's my prayer for you. May every one of us walk in the truth. If He has revealed something to you this morning, walk in it. Do it. There's a verse in Exodus 36, 2-7. We don't have time. Don't put that up on the board. But um, in it, it says God stirred their hearts to serve. God stirred their hearts to give. And what is God stirring your heart with this morning, church? Walk in it. Is it to help the poor? Contact Sharon. The opportunity is in front of you. You heard about it this morning. Is it children? Nikki and the team are over there right now depositing reward in heaven, hopefully with motivation of we love God and we just want to see these kids come to know the Lord. But she needs help. Is God stirring someone's heart in the room to get involved in our children's ministry? Missions. Joe Davies on the mission field. Her support level is not what it needs to be. You want to send money straight on to heaven? Give it to missions. Support Joe Davy. It's wonderful ground to sow in. Is it worship or youth or small groups or prayer? This church is full of opportunity for you to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10 says this, and this sums the whole thing up. And I've got to go back to it. I don't know if you, can you put it up on the, do you have have it there, Dan? I'll read it with you. For, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see how beautifully Paul dovetailed these two truths together? You are saved by grace, through faith, not because of works, that any of you should boast. Your destination in heaven is secured because of what Jesus did for you. Praise the Lord. But now, He has made you for good works that He has prepared for you beforehand to do that you should walk in them. And as you walk in them, the wonderful truth to you this morning is that God is preparing an eternity of being good to you based on how you've lived your life for Him. Let's pray. We are right at the end of the service this morning, so I'm just going to close in prayer, and the worship team's going to sing, out, sing us out with one song. Would you consider your life? May this be an Alfred Nobel moment for you. Do not be condemned this morning. Condemnation is when you feel terrible about things and you move away from God. Conviction is when God starts to show you things that aren't right yet and you realize that that's God's goodness to you, the Holy Spirit helping you to put it right. Lord, may you convict our hearts this morning. May you show us, Lord, the areas, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's just our own selves. We want to declare this truth, Lord. We are yours. Our lives are yours. And that's not a, um, to our detriment. That's to our eternal benefit. 
You are so good. You are so faithful. You are so true. Help us to steward our Lord, help us to live for eternity. Give us an eternal perspective this morning in every aspect. If you've put your finger on something, Lord, help us to manage the money better. Help us to manage our time better. Lord, may we not neglect doing the good works that you have prepared for us to do. Help us to walk in that, to walk in that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
mercy on me, O God, according to your unfaithful, unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Lord, we were challenged this morning. We were challenged uh, in the area of stewardship this morning. But Father, it's good that you check the foundations of our faith. And so, Lord, uh, just uh, lead us on your way. Lead us uh, into the a good uh, <clears throat> way of stewardship with everything that you've given to us. And then we pray, Lord, create in us a pure heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And grant to us a willing spirit to sustain us. Father, we just worship you this morning. We just praise your holy name. Thank you for your word that is alive and is true. Just bless us as we go from this place this morning. Amen. All right, folks, thanks. Have a great week. Uh, coffee outside, fellowship outside, no cake outside. <laughs>